to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, business continuity, emergency management, well-being, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics. Anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If there is a topic you'd like to uh, talk about on the show or be a guest on the show, please feel free, reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there, so I'm really easy to find. Send me a message, and I do respond to everything I get. A couple of quick announcements. I will be speaking at the Continuity Insights Conference in Minneapolis, October 4th to 6th. And I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today Conference in Toronto, December 1st and 2nd. Now, hopefully, things are good, and I can be on site for both of those. And... I also have one more announcement, and it's a wonderful one, and it was only confirmed uh, about a half an hour ago. Um, We are moving our show from the Variety Channel to the Business Channel on Voice America Network. It's a big move, much bigger audience. I'm really happy with guests like uh, you see off to the side here, and I'll introduce her in just a moment, though I'm sure many of you know who she is already. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the move. So I hope you join us on the Business Channel Thursdays at 1 p.m. EST. Now, it is that time again. It's the time for my regular chat with Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, first of all, congratulations on your move. It's very exciting to go to the Business Channel. And thank you for having me back. I don't know how many shows we've done, but it's been a lot. It's been, we've had about 18 shows but this is our 15th one i actually looked it up today did you really yeah 15th one where we've uh, for the most part focused on covid oh my gosh i keep thinking at some point alex you and i can talk about anything else but you know the virus continues to be our number one conversation yeah somewhere in the world you know it's even if things are going to be fine here i hope one day, yes. it, it's still you know a topic of conversation because it's happening somewhere else in the world. So why don't we jump? Why don't we jump into that? What what what's the latest? Well, you know, it is all about location, 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 isn't it? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, those countries that have had the great privilege of getting vaccine, uh, like the United States uh, and some countries in Europe and Canada, which you're going to talk about in just a minute, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Uh, we have really seen uh, a really amazing drop in cases. So here in the United States, we just dropped below 30,000 cases a day, which I know sounds like a lot, but we were at 300,000. So, hey, this is good. Uh, We're having still about 650 to 700 people die, unfortunately, every day. And we still have about 30,000 people hospitalized. So those are still big numbers. But I want to remind you, we were 
at astronomical numbers Mm -hmm. not that long ago. And currently right now in the United States, we have roughly about 60% of U.S. citizens that have had at least one dose. And so we are making good progress. We have issues with still vaccine hesitancy in some southern states in particular, a couple of states up in the uh, Rocky Mountain uh, area of uh, the United States. And we still have vaccine hesitancy among in rural communities, as well as, interestingly enough, Republican men. Mm-hmm. However, we are making good progress. And so that's a huge benefit for us here in the United States. Sadly, however, the rest of the world is, as you pointed out, Alex, really struggling. Of course, India continues to be really a catastrophic event, but still severe shortages of all supplies including oxygen. Uh, Yesterday, their official death toll was about 4,500 people. But as you probably well know, that death toll is really almost an estimate because many people have died and have not been counted. Uh, I've heard estimates of as much as 25,000 people could have died yesterday. And that's just from the guesstimation of Indian epidemiologists. So India is really problematic, but they're not the only one. Interestingly enough, places in Southeast Asia that had had very few cases for a very long time, like Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, Singapore, Mm -hmm. even Taiwan, which had no cases for eight months. All of those countries have experienced a huge uptick for them in cases. And so what that really speaks to is that the virus You know, it's hard to really say, why is that? Is it the variants? Very likely it is, but there's not a lot of sequencing in those countries, so we don't really know. It's probably likely the B117. It could also be the Indian B1617. So that's all possibilities. But what it really says is that, especially in countries where they have limited vaccine, which is still most of the world, We are really needing to really be safe and continue all of the public health measures that we all know. There's one other thing I'd like to say about the issue related to to the uh, vaccine rollout worldwide. There's the largest vaccine producer in the world in India. It's called the Mm. Serum Indian Institute. And they announced this week, actually yesterday, that they were no longer going to supply all of the countries with COVID vaccine that had already been purchased through the course of the rest of this year. And that vaccine is going to be used internally in India. So all of these countries, including COVAX, which is the large UN vaccine program sponsored by the UN and the World Health Organization, that program is not gonna be getting any vaccine from the Serum Institute, which was its number one provider. Mm -hmm. So what that means, uh, I think really going back to your point, Alex, is that um, we're gonna be in a situation where there are a lot of places that will not have vaccine for a very long time. And when you talk about the virus, that means there's a lot of places where we're gonna have continued transmission, and always the possibility for the immersion of variants. So I think in the world, it's quite a mixed bag. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of the pictures from uh, uh, coming out of India. And um, I think the word that I, I think of was horrific. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the parks with the, um, you know, the burning of bodies you know, on pyres and, and things like that was just, my God, I, I, I it looked like something out of a medieval 
movie or, or, or medieval times. It was just right. it was scary looking at some of that going, oh, my God. You know, in, in today's world, that's what's happening. It's, it's hard to fathom. It's absolutely hard to fathom. And so I think that's the, the real concern is that we look at a country like that who has granted a lot, of, a lot of public health issues, but still, oh my gosh, how incredibly tragic and just the suffering that is going on in that country is just amazing. How about Canada? What's happening in Canada? Well, if anyone remembers my last update last month, um, it wasn't so good. <laughs> it was a terrible update last last month, but things have changed. <clears throat> First, I'll, I'll give the uh, the bad news. Um, uh, we are at uh, 1.3 uh, million cases now. So that, but that has actually slowed down. In the last week, it's come down by 20 percent. So that's a good a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, deaths, unfortunately, we reached a uh, milestone of just over 25,000. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's slowing down. Hospital Hospitalizations overall is are down by 9% as well. So <clears throat> even though those numbers seem high for, for us, they're high, they are slowing down now, um, which is a good thing. Uh, vaccines, I know for a couple of months I complained about uh, Canada wasn't getting what we had ordered and putting us behind and we were falling way behind on vaccines. Um, now we're getting things delivered and uh, our provinces and doctors, pharmacy, pharmacists and everybody are just giving needles like crazy now. As of today, have you gotten the jab? Have you gotten the jab? I have mine as of last Sunday. I do. And uh, I'll tell you, Oh, sorry, that was the dog. Must have heard something. Um, maybe he's just happy that I got my. He's own. happy you got the shot. <laughs> uh, as of today, at some point today, this is uh, May twentieth. Uh, we're recording. Uh, by the end of today, forty-nine percent of Canadians will have received their first dose. Uh, which, if you recall, last <laughs> month we were. I don't know, ten percent, something. It was, I think, I think it was ten. So the fact that you have gotten that much in thirty days speaks to your government just, you know, putting the pedal to the metal, so to speak. Yeah, the I I don't know what they did, what they did differently, but all of a sudden, boom, it was available. I knew a lot of people that were getting frustrated, waiting for their uh, chance to get their needle, and all of a sudden, we all got notices within a couple of days, and everybody just took it which leads me to another interesting point. You talked about some of the hesitancy mm-hmm. with the vaccine. There was a poll done here in Canada and just over 70% of people in Canada said they will definitely get the shot. 70? Over 70%. That's great. That they would get the shot. And because the government is uh, shooting for 70 to 75% to, to get uh, you know, the first dose. Uh, for everybody, you know, that's what they're really aiming for right now. So we're mm-hmm. we're heading in that direction and having that number is a good sign as well. It's very good. Uh, and then we are lagging behind on the uh, second doses. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what uh, they're trying to do is get as many needles, first needles anyway, into the arms of people, including uh, 12-year-olds now, if you're 12 and up, everybody now can start, you know, uh, making appointments or 
sign up to get their needle, you know, whatever the case may be, wherever they are. In the, the so you must be a Pfizer, must be doing Pfizer. Uh, well, I got Moderna. Oh, did you? Okay. <clears throat> and uh, I, so uh, Pfizer and Moderna, are the, I think, are the main two. But I think right. AstraZeneca is still being used in some spots. But mm-hmm. I, I think some people kind of have a hesitancy with yeah, that Because of the clotting now. issue, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's good news. You know, um, there's a couple of other things I want to point out because they're they're actually fun. And because I did find some good news with this, I wanted to pass this along. Please share. Uh, province of Quebec uh, has um, detailed their uh, opening, reopening the province uh, plan. May 28th, they hope to rest, uh, lift all restrictions uh, from any remaining spots, Montreal being the main one. So um, that's a good sign. But the one that I really like is May 29th, they are going to be allowing 2,500 hockey fans into the Bell Centre in Montreal <clears throat> so that they can watch the Toronto Maple Leafs win uh, the, the game. <laughs> Let's see, where, where do you Sorry, live? Uh, let me think. Right, let let me me think. Where do you live? <laughs> <clears throat> so it's a dec- decades-old rivalry, Toronto-Montreal. Yes, you know, people might think it's, it's Ottawa, but really it goes back to Montreal. And Montreal's <laughs> a good team. They were the first hockey team I ever saw when I came to Canada. So, you know, I know I'm, I'm having fun, but I, I respect uh, the uh, Canadians very much. But uh, I thought that was an interesting one. And Ontario, uh, about an hour or two ago, also outlined their approach. Um, I won't go into all the details, but I will mention that uh, it, they're planning to start, if all goes well, mid-June. Hmm. And they are hoping to have three phases. Each phase will be 21 days long, and there is criteria that has to be met before they move to the next one. So if it's not met, then the 21 days might become 28 or something. So um, they're hoping that by the end of the summer, everything will be fully opened, uh, provided all the criteria gets met. Mm-hmm. I don't have any other details on that because I was getting ready for the show uh, to talk to you. So I only captured the quick highlights. Um, That's great. Though. That was an interesting one. So things have definitely turned around. Uh, here, you know, um, I'm I, I'm really I, really happy to hear that, uh, and I and again, it's a it's a great selling point, if you will, for the power of the vaccine, that uh, it, the impact that it has on a community once you start to get some real penetration into the population is really remarkable, and the vaccines are safe, they are highly effective, and they make such a difference. Uh, and as you were saying before we started, what a what a relief it is, right, to be yes, to be vaccinated. I did. I felt uh, I didn't know how much anxiety I had and how frustrated and you know mm-hmm. just wound up I was not having a needle until mm-hmm. I walked out of there, knowing that I just got my first shot. I actually mm-hmm. felt better. And I talked to a friend or two, uh, and I mentioned it to them, and they said the exact same thing. That's how they felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that with this, what I mentioned, the 70% that want to get, that definitely want to get the needle, that uh, it'll be like peer pressure for the other mm-hmm. 30%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone you know has it and you haven't because you denied it or whatever, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you'll be pressured into getting it. You know? mm-hmm. Well, that's a, it's a lot about like sharing what your status is, right? So, gee, yeah. are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? And when people start saying, well, no, I'm not. 
then it's like, well, why not? And I think when those conversations come up, one of the things that I would say to you just as a, as a recommendation to you and all of your listeners is, is that when somebody says they're not vaccinated, I think there's a tendency, you know, I, I of course, yeah, I've been doing this forever. And so my tendency is go like, what do you mean you're not vaccinated, right? But you have to kind of like step back and go, okay, let's be, let's be curious. Why aren't you? Why aren't you vaccinated? Gosh, isn't, you know, is it because you can't get to it? The idea is to try and continue to have a conversation yeah. rather, rather than a finger pointing, which is super easy to go to. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't move the person from being hesitant to saying yes, I guess is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Oh, you're right. Because um, there's, a, I forgot the author's name, but there's a book called Catalyst out or mm-hmm. relatively new. And I read that and it's the more you push someone to do something, the less mm-hmm. they're going to do it. Right. Right. So and so it's about, it's about accepting. It's about providing information. It's about being curious. But if you become really adamant, then all you're going to do is they're going to get angry and you're going to get angry and you're not going to get any place. And so the idea is, can we bring people along yeah. with information, with interest, with concern and so on? I think that's really important. I think it's important for us all to remember that as we all walk through this confusing time of vaccinated and, no, and not vaccinated. Now, speaking of confusion, we're going to be talking about some CDC um, uh, recommendations <laughs> yeah, in our second segment. So we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a shakeup in your online entertainment? Then listen for The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. It's time to take a fresh look at the politics of our economy and its impact on you. Darren and his guests will explain these rights, legislation, and observations in sectors that affect people around the world every day. Imagine a podcast that makes you stop and think. That's The Information Edge. Tune in every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric E.Z. Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Tuesday at 4 p.m p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Regina Phelps about all things COVID and other things, of course. Regina, at the end of the first segment, I mentioned uh, some confusion with regards to CDC communications. Uh, do you want to, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, uh, I love the CDC, but they cannot message to save their life. And what's really fascinating, Alex, that if you actually do research on crisis communications and public health threats, uh, you'll find that the CDC has a whole division that does that. And in fact, they actually do training on crisis communications and public health messaging, which Oh, my gosh, they haven't taken their own class, I think is what I would say. So as you are sure have heard uh, by now, wherever you are in the world, the CDC has actually said that in the United States, if you are fully vaccinated, you now have the option, assuming that there are no restrictions locally with local departments of public health or businesses, that you have the uh, authority, if you will, to be able to go maskless, certainly outdoors uh, and in many indoor settings. Uh, the only uh, restrictions they really placed around that would be things such as maybe crowded uh, theaters or crowded venues uh, with poor circulation or poor ventilation. Now, what kind of amazes me, Alex, is that they issued this, and, and I think they must have been thinking that everybody was going to go, woohoo, that's so great. But what happened is that there was a whole group of people that said, oh, that's great. And there was another quite large group of people said, whoa, what are you saying? It was mass, 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 and now throw them away. And so it was very confusing. It's also very confusing for any business or organization that has to manage people, employees, the public. And what I found almost amusing, if it wasn't so sad, is that they had not yet even started to revise all of their guidance about what do you do in businesses? What do you do in schools? What do you do in meatpacking plants? What do you do in healthcare and so on? So they offered this big sweeping change and then they failed to have any of the real detailed guidance after that. So what I would say to any of your uh, listeners who are in the United States and trying to figure out what this all means, it really becomes complicated. And so this is now going to help drive, if you will, the concern about would an employer mandate a vaccine? Because now the question is, I have people coming back to work. Some of them are vaccinated, some of them are not. How do I establish the rules in my business? Do I say everybody's going to be masked? That no one's going to be masked? Am I going to have the honor system? So there's a lot of confusion. So there's a lot of decision trees that companies are now trying to really scramble to figure out. The 
employer has the right, as designated by the EEOC on December 16th of 2020 in the United States, to actually mandate a vaccine here in the U.S. Um, And they can legally do that. Many employers have not wanted to do that, but would like to in many ways to be (laughs) assured that people would be vaccinated, right? So there's a little bit of confusion now. So I think what's going to happen sooner than I actually had thought is the question of, are we going to require vaccines are going to come right up? And that be sort of, if you imagine kind of a decision tree, are we going to require vaccines or not? Yes or no. If you say no, well, then what am I going to do about guidance inside the business? Am I going to allow masks and no masks? Am I going to make everybody wear a mask? Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that as far as, you know, am I, are we on the honor system? So there's a lot of questions that come up and there's also a lot of discomfort that people might feel because I'll look across the room and I may and I'm in a conference room, let's say, I don't have a mask on and most of the people don't have a mask on, but some people I know haven't been vaccinated and they don't have a mask on. So then what happens, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of confusion. And so I think what's going to happen is that right now, many of our clients are really struggling. What does this mean? And for the most part, at this point today, May 20th, most of them are saying that they are, and at this point, probably not going to require the vaccine, although they're chewing on it, I'll tell you. And the second point is that they are still going to require masks indoors because it's the way to sort of level the field. So you're still kind of saying to the people that are vaccinated, I'm sorry you're vaccinated, but you still have to wear a mask. And the people that are not vaccinated are gonna have to wear a mask as well, just to sort of level the playing field. Mm -hmm. In businesses that are retail here in the United States, most retailers have decided they are not gonna get in a fight with the public. And so many of them have placed signage as you walk into a store that says what the requirements are. So they may quote local public health standards and the CDC, and they may say masking is not required if you are fully vaccinated. If you are not vaccinated, please wear a mask. But again, no sign, no requirements of showing a card or anything like that. But how how do you really know, though? You know, I I may not have vaccinated. I, I have nothing and I walk into a store. Oh, yeah, I'm fully vaccinated. Right. There's and, and you can imagine, at least I don't know about in Canada, but here in the United States, there's a lot of people that are, you know, uh, hesitant about vaccines, but they're also very, you know, it's I, you don't have a right to tell me what to do, mm-hmm. even in your business. And so there's a lot of concern that this will cause a lot of conflict between employees and customers. And so many of the big employee or big retailers are taking the easy way out, which is, putting a sign up that says, if you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask. If you're not vaccinated, please wear one. And what they're saying to their employees are, if you are fully vaccinated, but still you are concerned about your health, you should wear a mask. So it's really wishy-washy, I would say. It it doesn't even really sound like guidance. It sounds more like a free-for-all. Right. Well, and I have to be honest with you, Alex, it feels like a free-for-all. I think if we were in a situation where there was not so much head bunting about vaccine, no vaccine, uh, COVID masking, it may be less of an issue. But I think there's a lot of tension in many public places about even people wearing a mask and being harassed by people who are not wearing one because they don't believe it's, you know, they're right or whatever. And so I think there's a lot of concern and a lot of anxiety about this. And, And the CDC, I think, thought they were giving a great gift to the public about, oh, you don't have to wear a mask. 
but somehow they did not think it through at all. So Mm -hmm. I think what you're going to see over the next week or two here in the States is there's going to be a lot of churn going on. Um, and there's going to be a lot of um, pressure to try and get more and more people vaccinated. And I think what you're going to start to see are employers who will start kind of laying down uh, the rule that you must be vaccinated to return to work. Well, there's been uh, news reports lately of some of these conflicts in stores. Mm-hmm. You know, there was even... Uh, a in Canada? Uh, Canada? Well, everywhere in Canada, oh, in Canada. Yeah, but they all said sorry afterwards. But <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, just kidding. Uh, for, uh, but but uh, you, you've seen it. You know, there was even a, a Costco incident, I believe it was, with, uh, you know, a former child star, you know, uh, ranting and raving about uh, masks and everything. Right. And that was after this CDC stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've, I've heard about it happening in smaller shops as well. Where people get, you know, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. Well, right. you know, well, it's kind of my shop, you know, it, and it's, it's a private shop. It's not owned by the public. It's a mm-hmm. private space that the public is invited into. Right. You know, so, but somehow that gets lost in the translation yeah. where people just yeah. feel that they have the right, the personal right to do whatever they want. And so I think yeah. what that does is it puts the employee who might be in that shop or store Uh, in a really uncomfortable position, a lot of them don't want to be there, right? Right. And so I think what that means is that you're going to see that uh, many times people in those public places that work there are still going to stay masked for their own personal protection because they really don't know the status of the person who's actually walking through the door. Yeah, I I look at it, uh, you know, uh, someone who has the flu but doesn't show any signs. Right, You know, And you're walking down, down the aisle in the grocery store and you pass somebody, next thing you know, you know, a day later or two days, whatever, you've got the flu. Mm-hmm. Well, that person mm-hmm. is fine. And it, this is the same, not exactly the same, but the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, analogy that I, I can, I think about. Yeah. And, so and you I know, it's really interesting. It. It's, it's interesting you said that, Alex, because the CDC just came out. This is a totally different topic, but it's about masks. So it's connected. The CDC just released data that in the last three weeks in the United States, there has been this dramatic vertical rise of cases of the common cold. So that's other coronaviruses, not the COVID virus, but the other coronaviruses. Uh, Respiratory illnesses have skyrocketed in the United States because people have stopped wearing masks. Which goes back to, I mean, of course, what people never, you know, nobody wore masks in the United States during the flu or cold season. But what it demonstrates is, is that masks work. And when people wear them, it does stop transmission. And so tied with the fact now that I saw that data that they just released yesterday, and here we have this situation where we're saying, don't wear a mask if you're vaccinated. It's it's just the messaging is crazy. So I say to your listeners, stay tuned, but I would not be surprised if you're going to see more mandated vaccines, and you're going to continue to see conflict in stores and different businesses where people are head-to-head about the issue of vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. Mm. And it, 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 it's got to be difficult for the CDC to even draw back on that message. I, I think, uh, no, the, the cat is out of the bag. Yeah, you're not, not going to be you able to. You can't crawl it back. You cannot yeah. crawl it back. Yeah, that's, well, well, on yeah. to the next one. Something yeah. happier. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, we're going to start talking about um, some return to the office. Challenge. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to show my screen. <clears throat> and I, what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about 
I'm, I've been um, really following very closely a group of Harvard professors, two in particular. And this work that I'm going to be talking about is by a guy by the name of Raj Chaudhry. And Raj, actually, uh, this was actually an article that your listeners can actually acquire online. It's from the Harvard Business Review. And the title of the article was The Work from Anywhere Future. Highly recommend this to your listeners. Um, so, Raj Chaudhary has been studying this idea of work from anywhere for the last five years, and he's been studying it worldwide. His research in this area is so timely because now we're looking at, you and I have talked many times, the hybrid work model, or how do you, how do you manage, how do you deal with people that are not working in the office? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk through some of these things because I think all of your listeners need to be thinking about this. When I find my clients starting to think about a hybrid model, they aren't thinking in the kind of ways that this article in particular points out. And so I think it's well worth sharing. So what his concept of is, is really work from anywhere, but of course that's all about remote work. And what he has and what he talks about are the benefits of it, which I think are pretty interesting. So obviously cost of living, you can live in a less expensive place. You can have a better quality of life. Perhaps you have flexibility. This one example I think is really fascinating. It talks about that military or corporate spouses can keep their job when, when they have to move. You know, it used to be that when a, when a person, uh, your spouse or your partner mm-hmm. moved from one place to the next and you went with them, you had a job, you lost it. But if you're working from anywhere, it really doesn't matter where you are. So it also helps knowledge workers like computer professionals be able to do work without having to go through uh, immigration related issues. So here in the United States, the five, um, 5-1-B visa has been very hard to get in the last few years. So that helps that. And it also helps of all things, which I think is really interesting in some countries where women working outside the home is actually a cultural taboo. It allows women to work, but not have to go to an office. So therefore they are not stigmatized by doing that, which I think is actually fascinating. I would have never thought of that. He also talks about that for organizations, there's a lot of great benefits in this work from anywhere model idea. Increased employee engagement, uh, people are, uh, workers are often happier and they're also more productive. We have less real estate costs, which you and I've talked about many times before. Mm-hmm. It expands the talent pool because the world is your pool instead of just you know around uh, Toronto, for example. But now that's an interesting point because I, I, I have, um, there's been some contract work and they've asked for statements of work and things like that. So I've sent them off and I keep getting back, even though this study says this, from these recruiters or uh, employers saying, oh, no, you have to be on site. I'm going, what? so I've asked them, well, what are your employees doing? Well, they're working from home, mm-hmm. but you want me to be on site. Right. Yeah, think about that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 your point your point is well taken, Alex. It makes no sense for so much of the work that, especially in continuity planning in particular, that you do not need to be on site, um, and mm-hmm. so you can draw from a much bigger pool. And the other thing that uh, he found is it really decreased um, uh, attrition as well. But he also mentions two things societally, which I think is actually really interesting. One is obviously helps the environment because you're not driving as much, et cetera. But one that I thought was fascinating, and he talks about that for small towns, many times I'm sure it's the same in Canada here in the States, uh, many small towns begin to lose their smartest and brightest people because they go off to big cities to get jobs. And that becomes like a brain drain, right? And so the whole premise is, is that people can work anywhere. They could stay in smaller towns where they grew up or where their older family members might be or something. And so it gives you the opportunity to have those kind of options, which can really help those rural 
areas. Um, I'm going to go to the next one, but I think I'm not sure if you'd like to take a break now or you want to wait me or can we go? Uh, let, let's take our, our break now. We'll, okay. we'll take it because we've only got 30 seconds and then we're right back onto our schedule again. So, <laughs> so we're so. talking with Regina Phelps today. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a shakeup in your online entertainment? Then listen for the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. It's time to take a fresh look at the politics of our economy and its impact on you. Darren and his guests will explain these rights, legislation, and observations in sectors that affect people around the world every day. Imagine a podcast that makes you stop and think. That's the Information Edge. Tune in every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric E.Z. Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Tuesday at 4 p.m. PM Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps. Regina, you've got more to uh, walk us through on this work from anywhere. Yeah, I do. And and let me just talk about this because I think one of the things that's really helpful is Raj has been doing this study for uh, well over five years. So he's got some data and he's got some experience that I think many employers um, throughout the world can really benefit from. What he talks about is the concerns of uh, working from anywhere. The office has been our way of life forever. So it's really hard for us to imagine perhaps doing something different, although we've had lots of practice over the last 15 months. 
And there are some legitimate hurdles to making work from anywhere work, but there are a lot of best practices that are now emerging. And that's what I'd like to share with you. And what his belief is, Alex, is that there are three things that you have to solve for to make this work. One is communication. So how do you communicate to effectively? How can you brainstorm effectively? And how can you solve problems in a remote style? Secondly, how can you do knowledge sharing? You know, when you start a job or you've been there for a short period of time and you need information about how things work, there's no manual to go to for that. You just walk down the hallway and you stick your head in a cube and you start talking to people. So how do you share knowledge when you can't do that, right? And then lastly is all the culture stuff of work. So how do you have socialization? How do you build camaraderie? How do you mentor people? He says those are the things that have to be solved for this to actually work. And what he talks about is avoiding two classes. And I think you and I have talked about this before. And what he talks about is that a good hybrid model means everybody does the same thing. So that means like everybody works in the office two days a week or three days a week or something like that. It's not like, oh, I don't want to go to the office at all or, oh, I don't want to work remotely. You make everybody pretty much conform to a pretty much exact same model. So many of our clients are really doing this and very few people are really in the office all the time. They would be like security people or facilities people. They have to be there. So the good model means that we have consistency. And what he talks about is the bad model is that people either choose to be, you know, like 100% office or 100% remote because now what we have is two classes and that becomes a problem. And what we he goes on to talk about. Yes, exactly right. And what he talks about, and this is the Real kicker, I think, about this is he said, when you are thinking about work, you think remote first. What, what does that mean? If you have some people in a conference room during a meeting and some people that are working remotely, you run it like everybody is remote. So instead of drawing on a whiteboard in the office in a conference room, you're drawing on a whiteboard on MS Teams or whatever the platform is you're using. You're only operating in the virtual space. You can be physically in a room, but you're doing everything on the virtual space so that nobody's wondering like, well, what's he writing on the whiteboard? I can't hear that person. You know, <laughs> we've all been in that situation, right? Where you can't hear what's going on. You can't see what's going on. And so right away, you have a problem. And that's what's called a proximity bias. And this is where we favor people who are with us. And we pretty much undervalue or ignore the people that are remote. And if you are not careful when you design a hybrid work model, this is what your listeners are going to think about. You're going to create a proximity bias. And then after a while, no one is going to want to be remote because you've been forgotten. You can't, you can't get promoted. You're not going to get a raise, et cetera, et cetera. So this is really important. He goes on to say that for work from anywhere to work, and we talked about this, I think, before, but I really want to double down on it. We have to use processes. We have to document how we're going to be working, and we have to train. So it's not just sending out MS Teams and saying, hey, figure it out. No, you're training people. You're making sure that everybody understands the platforms, how to use them, that we have very clear training on how you use IMs and when you IM. And, you know, don't make people figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really the, the third bullet here is huge, which is rethinking about how you define productivity. Productivity in the mind of many managers might be it's your rear end sitting in a chair for eight hours in the office. That's productivity. No, it's not. 
It's my outputs and my deliverables. So if I do that at, from 12 midnight till 6 a.m. because I'm a night owl, well, great. But that also means that I'm not going to be returning your email at noon the next day. So it's understanding what your productivity is. It's focusing on deliverables. And really, it's not the hours work. It's what you're delivering. Mm -hmm. And also really making sure that there is really good management of remote staff. And that means that we have conversations. Okay, Alex, I work for you. But I, I, it doesn't matter when I work. So I like to work in the middle of the night. That means I'm not going to answer your emails at, at you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. But I, I got my job done, right? So I think the idea is there has to be a lot of communication. There has to be training. And there has to be really this back and forth between a, an employee and a supervisor to really make this work. And the shift should be to what you are producing not the number mm -hmm. of hours or your rare end in a seat. It, it's interesting. You you brought up the point of, you know, if you're working at night and you get all this stuff done and you're, you're not going to be answering an email at noon. Um, <clears throat> I'm an early riser myself. So I like to start working, you know, 7 a.m., 6.30 a.m. if I'm at home, you know, and I get more done before everyone else gets online than mm -hmm. when everyone else gets online. But I've worked for uh, leadership who – like to come in 9 30 10 o'clock and mm -hmm. are booking 5 p.m meetings and getting angry with all uh, people that are you know early risers for not attending it's like well wait a minute now you're you're forcing me to work a 10 11 12 hour day exactly right you know, and that's, that's a very good example of poor <clears throat> communication and poor management whether you're remote or frankly in the office and yeah, i think yeah. that kind of thing needs to be changed so that we are all above board and we have very clear expectations. That's really, really important. And one of the things that he, Raj, actually advocates is having a new position at the office, which is head of remote work, who really begins to promote this as well as promote the things that need to happen to make it work. Um, and so it's a different way of thinking. Uh, and that kind of position is important. I've seen these installed in HR. I've also even seen, seen them in the chief operating officer, the COO's office. Um, so it's the idea of people are thinking about remote work. And the number one issue, and you and I have talked about this before, the number one issue is that what gets in the way of this all working <laughs> is senior leadership. <laughs> Never. I know you did, right? So <laughs> it's possible to make work from anywhere work, but what makes it often not possible is management. And that's because if senior leaders don't do the same thing, if they don't practice remote work, if they continue to act as they've always acted, they go to the office every single day. Okay, think about the food chain here. If your CEO and all of his, his and her direct reports and their whole executive group goes to the office every day, all the people that work for them, where are they going to be? They're going to be in the office. And then you stop and think, well, who are all the people that report to those people? Where are they going to be? Oh, uh, they're probably going to be in the office too. So you can begin to see that if the senior leadership doesn't support it, that the cascading effect is that nobody wants to do it because, again, proximity bias, being able to get uh, rewarded properly with um, with uh, new job mm -hmm. uh, promotions and 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 increased salaries, et cetera. So leaders need to support many of these things like synchronous versus asynchronous communication. So asynchronous communication would be, I send you a text at 2 a.m. because I'm working all night. But I don't expect to hear from you. And then you respond back to me later on, but I'm asleep. So the idea is that we're 
communicating, but we're not in real time. That's asynchronous. And that, you can do that with brainstorming and problem solving. And in fact, there have been studies that brainstorming and problem solving that's asynchronous is actually better because people are more willing to contribute uh, at, at different times. You're going to get a broader selection of people that are going to respond back to you. Hmm. Uh, the idea that you're really codifying knowledge online. So you have almost like the, uh, the equivalent of a book of, gee, all those kind of weird questions I used to walk down the hall and ask people, you could actually have that captured so that we know what those answers are. Um, the idea that we have virtual socializations and team buildings in ways that we can mentor people. Um, we obviously are working on data security with all the issues related to things like ransomware now. We certainly understand mm -hmm. how incredibly important that is. Uh, but the idea that we set an example, a management needs to set an example that they also too practice as a hybrid model so that we are seeing our leadership do the same thing. Hugely important. Um, so those are the key things I wanted to mention. I think we've talked about a bunch of other stuff, but those are the big ones I think that I would ask that you think about and that your, your um, audience think about. And I would highly recommend that you look for the Harvard Business Review, November, December of last year, and look for the work from anywhere. Uh, and just look at that article. There's also a whole series of new books that have come out on this topic from Harvard. And I think it's well worth going about this the correct way, because I think if we don't, people are going to be frustrated. And then what you're going to see is this kind of them and us and the two-class mm -hmm. society. And I think many people have not thought through what it really means to be a hybrid model successfully. Well, it's interesting because uh, years ago, you would meet people either at a bar or a restaurant or a sports, sporting event, whatever, when you, when you run into new groups of people. What do you do? Oh, this is what I do. Oh, they're they're located on such and such street, right? No, I get to work from home. And back then it was, oh, you're so lucky, you know, to be able to work from home. And it seems now that has totally, now that everybody's working at home, it's that you're so lucky thing has kind of gone. Mm -hmm. It's more of, oh, yeah, me too. Right. You know, uh, you know can't wait to go back to the office but you're not really that enthusiastic about it. it it's right. a completely different mindset now where, where working remotely or from anywhere, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, was seen as, wow, like the pinnacle. That's where I want to get to, mm -hmm. you know, work from home. And now there's so many different things to think about. Right, right. And I think the, the thing about the working from anywhere or the working from home that I think that really needs to be thought about is this issue that, that um, flexibility is now something that people have all experienced that are knowledge workers, right? We've all had this capability now to be able to work from home. So when you're looking at staying in your job or getting a new job, one of the things that I talked about when we were together last month in the Microsoft study is that the number one thing that people valued was flexibility. They've experienced it. They've had it. And now the, as to how much they want might be another issue, mm. but we have experienced that wonderful feeling of not having to drive to work every day or that wonderful feeling of being able to have more control over your life. And it's going to be very hard for a lot of folks to go back to, oh, no, Alex, you have to be in the office nine to five, Monday through Friday. And that Microsoft 
piece that we talked about last month said that 41% of knowledge workers were going to very likely be looking for a new job this year once the I pandemic see. began to tone down. I've seen Why? that as well. Yeah. Right? Why? Because I need flexibility. I want respect from working remotely. Now, that doesn't mean I want to necessarily work remotely every single day, but I need and want that kind of flexibility. So I think there's going to be a big churn. In fact, I, I post a lot of things on LinkedIn, and there was a really interesting article that Bloomberg had last week that I posted where they were talking about what are the ways that you can quit your job without making your manager mad after the pandemic? And I thought, hold it, hold it, hold wow. it, hold it. This is Bloomberg, and they're giving pointers on how you actually quit your job after the pandemic and not make your manager angry. And they talked through all the things that you could do. And I just, I thought, wow. And they said in this article, really drawing on the Microsoft piece, but also on the research that they had done, is that they expected a lot of people that are not granted flexibility, they may like their job, but they don't like it that much. And mm-hmm. they're going to look for other opportunities that are going to afford that. And so I think what I would say to you is that this is something that I think we're going to see a lot of churn. And so if you think about continuity planning, you think of crisis management, you think of all the things that we do for a living, I would expect that continuity planners in particular are really going to have to be seriously looking at their plans because there's going to be a huge churn happening and a lot of things that are going to have to be rethought about how am I going to plan for an outage um, with this churn in the workforce, but also the fact that people could be anywhere and working remotely. And how do I know that they're going to be able to continue to work in a widespread power outage or any of those number of things? So there has to be a different lens now when you look at a continuity plan to assume, which is a dangerous word, that mm-hmm. the plans are going to work based on a new set of parameters. Yeah. Uh, I, I think management is going to be, uh, the way you had it in that PowerPoint there, that's going to be the challenge. Yes. Because I know management is going to push back, and I've talked to many. You know, uh, I've got neighbors. Uh, as well that I've talked to and, you know, they're saying, yeah, I get everybody back in the office or some people are saying, I, I work from home and I don't want to go back ever. And, you know, and you can just see it. It's almost like a war waiting to happen. You just mm-hmm. know something, there's going to be this big bang somewhere. You know, yeah, and, I, and I think you and I will be talking about this tangentially for the next five or six months. Cause I think as, as it winds down in the countries that are vaccinated, you're going to start to see this, yeah. this, this rub between management and workers, and there's going to be a lot of friction uh, potentially, and that's going to impact uh, workforces, uh, continuity planning, and all of that. Yep. And on that note, we've come to the end of our show again. Regina, thanks very much for sharing your time and expertise. As always, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Alex, as always, a delight chatting with you. Uh, yeah, it is, isn't it? No. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know. I have to have some fun too. You know. oh, I, love it. I love it. It's the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's seven o'clock here. It's the end of the day. It's dinner time. Go out, walk the dog. So, um, but thank you once again. And I know we'll have another great chat coming up soon. So, and you have a long weekend coming up in the U.S. So have a great long weekend and enjoy yourself. And we will be talking to you next week. Uh, Same for you. Next month. Thanks sorry. <laughs> and to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. 
Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.